Uh, Chris, uh, thank you for hopping on the podcast. No problem at all. Thanks for having me. So I would love to kind of dive in. I know you're uh, studying history. Uh, what type of history do you study and uh, what fascinates you about the subject? Yeah, so I'm, I'm studying for my undergrad in history at the moment. It's a general history degree, so it doesn't specialize in anything. It's, it's very, very broad, to be fair. But my personal kind of passion point in history is, is medieval Europe. Mm. It's always been that way since I was a kid. But unfortunately, my university de- degree doesn't actually cover that period at all. Um, mm. But I keep telling myself that it's filling in all the other gaps around. So it, it's definitely going to be worth it. It's interesting because it sounds like you will have to kind of do some self-study on your end to study, you know, that era that you're so interested in. And so when you kind of think about, you know, um, the medieval time, you know, are there any lessons from the medieval time that you feel like we can uh, learn uh, learn from today? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And realistically, <clears throat> a, a historian called Matt Lewis, a, a great historian, um, says everything is medieval. And, I, you know, he mm. kind of says it as a, you know, a bit of a half joke, but it, it really is the case. I think you can look back at any period of history and you know, like you said, learn lessons from, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, this is, you know, when people ask me, oh, you know, why do you like history? Why do you like medieval history specifically? And, you know, ultimately it's, it's great stories, but behind those are, you know, lessons for, you know, your day-to-day life or, you know, even, even grander things. You know, mm. you can quite clearly go back in time and see where things have gone wrong. Mm. And it's, you know, the, the old saying, you know, those that don't learn history are doomed to repeat it. And I think, you know, that's, that's a huge thing that you can see through, you know, the medieval period and, you know, before that and, and, and after that as well. Yeah. And, you know, you're kind of touching on something that I've heard a lot. So there is um, a famous kind of, I guess, hedge fund founder. His name is uh, Ray Dalio. And he talks about how important it is to study history. And because he said it's all cyclical. And so if you mentioned, you know, you can look back in time and kind of see where things went wrong and then how things, you know, kind of self-corrected over a longer span of time. So if you think about the present day, where would you say we are in uh, that cycle? That is a really, really good question. Oh, it's a good question. I mean, to, to be cynical, um, mm. I would probably say we are kind of, we're in that, that early early end times that sounds really really bad but i'll kind of yeah. try and justify what i'm saying so many people have or may not have heard of the dark ages which is this period of of immense um kind of societal collapse after the the roman mm. empire kind of fell in the west in the fifth century it's a bit of an outdated term i don't personally like to use it for multiple different reasons but mm-hmm. there are definitely parallels in in the UK and I'm, I'm assuming in the U S and around the world as well of this kind of, mm. you know, we can see just about into our, into our very recent past, our parents' generation of this, this perceived greatness. It's, it's only over there, but mm. when we look, you know, at our own time and just slightly into the future, there's mm. the, the cracks are starting to show. Um, you know, mm. we had the COVID-19 pandemic, we had, you know, Brexit in the UK. We have all of these things that are like, Oh, Okay, these are these are all bad things, and yes, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you know we can always look back and you know see see greatness or see terrible things. But I heard a joke, which is which is quite topical, and it was about you know about the U.S. having parallels to the to the fall of Rome, 
Um, and it's just mm. the only difference between the fall of Rome and the US is Rome had better roads. I don't know how true <laughs> that is. But I was thinking, I, I read, heard the joke, laughed and was like, oh, actually, yeah, if you, if you think about it, I think there are definitely parallels to that. And that's very, very, it's a very negative way to view it. And I don't think it's all doom and gloom, but I, I yeah. would also apply that to, you know, the, the, the fall of Rome, which, which happened. It definitely happened, but it didn't happen instantly. It happened over generations and generations and generations. And another kind of justification for the, for that standpoint I have is, you know, one of the, the markers of the, of this dark age that, um, that, you know, happened between roughly 500 and 800 mm-hmm. AD is the repurposing of, of buildings. You know, the Romans are famous for, you know, Colosseums mm. and the Forum and all these amazing things that, you know, if you get the opportunity to, to visit places like Rome, I fully recommend it. It's, it's amazing. And, you know, these buildings get repurposed into, you know, meeting halls and, um, you know, things like that. And, you know, that's seen by historians as this terrible, like, perversion of history and, oh, look how, you know, uncivilized and uncultured people are. But, I mean, you can walk down pretty much any, you know, city street and you'll see an old bank that's a Starbucks. Or you'll mm. see, um, I don't know, an old church that's got a skate park in it. Or I went to a to a, to a bar a couple of months ago that was was an old church. And mm-hmm. it's like, if you look at that a thousand years ago, yeah, you can see decline. You can see, um, you know, a, a lack of culture, whatever you want to call it. When realistically, it's just changing fashions and... Uh, I guess passions and you know what's what's relevant and needed for a society. So mm. yes, I think it's we're in a period of I don't want to say decline, but I'll be diplomatic and say a period of considerable change. That's so interesting because why do you think the repurposing of buildings is one signal that things could be headed for a sort of a downturn? Another great question. I mean, I think, I think it's human nature to look at things and go, you know, how do we, how do we use that? Why are we doing it that way? Why do we do certain things? Is that outdated now? And I think, you know, we've already mentioned like the cyclical nature of history. And I think that's been sped up in, in our lifetimes. You know, I'm only 30. And yet I, I feel like I've been through three or four different generations of change. Whereas, you know, my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation, it feels when you speak to them or when you look back at history, it it does seem to be a lot slower. So, but I think, I think it goes back to the point that human beings constantly need to change to maybe it's based on purpose. I'm I'm not quite sure, but I, I think it's changing in in values and kind of perceived importance of certain things. You know, let's use the, the, the bank and the coffee shop kind of metaphor. You know, going to a bank 20 years ago was, was a necessary part of your week. You know, you have to, you know, go claim your, you know, you cash your, your check from work or, you know, go get some money out to, you know, do your weekly shop or whatever. Now you have an iPhone, you have your online banking apps. There, there's no need for that physical building. So, you know, companies who have access to this are going to go, cool, okay, this is, this is something for people to walk past. This is something for people to look at and go, oh, that's a cool building. Caramel latte, please. You know, it's, it's like they've taken something that 
has maybe lost its purpose and try to kind of steal a little bit of that purpose. But I don't see it as a bad thing. I think some people see it as a bad thing. And I think if these these places and buildings, objects, whatever it is, are treated with with the correct level of kind of respect, then it's, you know, more power to you because, you know, you see it for millennia. It's, it's happened. It will continue to happen. And yeah, I think I think uh, in a nutshell, that's uh, that's what's going on. Mm, that's fascinating. Kind of this idea of, you know, this is perhaps dying and how can we kind of breathe new life into it, you know, with yeah. kind of giving it some sort of, you know, new utility. And uh, it's interesting that you mentioned you were looking at some, you know, articles or content where it kind of talked about, you know, the U.S.'s parallel to the fall of Rome. Have you seen kind of the, I guess, the meme that has kind of gone viral lately, which is how many times in a day or week that men think about the Roman Empire? <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I <laughs> I have seen it and it's it's good. I re- I really liked it when I when I first saw it I'm like, yes, history's in the mainstream. Awesome. We're doing, we're doing well. But yeah, I think so yeah, wh- wh- why do you think that men think about the Roman Empire so much? <laughs> I mean, it's cool, isn't it? I mean, it is. There's no getting away from the fact that the Roman Empire is just cool. Yes. But I guess I guess on on a serious note. Mm. I listened to a, an interview with a, another phenomenal historian, Mary Beard, a, a historian of, of, of the Roman period. And, and mm. she said, you know, it's great, keeps me in a job, awesome, keep it up kind of thing. <laughs> but also it's like there's a level of, of masculinity that attaches itself to things like Rome. Mm. And it's kind of this safe space for, you know, this kind of macho idea, which yes. isn't necessarily a terrible thing, but there are definitely connotations that you know kind of taint the message slightly so yes it's cool but also you know is it are we attaching certain masculine traits to something that we necessarily don't fully understand like but yeah i mean it's cool isn't it like i grew up playing you know the total war games rome total war was one of the first first games i sat and really played i mean really played Mm still play it to this day and you know see the red uniforms and you know it's just yeah rome's cool yeah rome is incredible and yeah i think you touched on something interesting you know which is you know big in pop culture right now which is you know masculinity and so if we think Mm. about the roman empire there were some you know incredible virtues as it relate to that so what masculine virtues do you feel like the roman empire demonstrated well again another good question i mean it's (laughs) It's a good question. It's a tough question because, you know, what is masculinity? What's, what what is it now? What is it 2000 years ago? I think, I think the the Roman, the Roman empire and the late Republic, again, it's not my absolute period of choice. I, I love learning about it, but it's not my, my speciality, but I would say that, and, and the interesting thing about Rome is, and the cool thing about Rome is, it's so relevant today. You know, we're speaking English, which has so many Latin loan yes. words. Yes. You know, we have running water and, and roads and everything's built with Roman arches. It's everywhere. So I guess to slightly warp your question, I think it gives us incredible mm. lessons in general for, you know, both and all genders. I think it, it, it instills a sense of like duty to, to maybe yourself and to something bigger if you want to. But mm. I think it also gives us a bedrock as a society. 
whether we view current societal norms as, as good or bad, I think the Romans building on the Greeks gave us this democratic in very large quotation marks because it's, you know, it's always up for debate, democracy. Um, yeah. It gives us this bedrock to to really build on. And, you know, you see that pushed through in different forms through the medieval period. It's it's a kind of a common misconception in the medieval period that it was it was kings and queens, knights and bishops, peasants. Like, yes, that is true, but also there were mm. periods, especially in England, there's there periods of of real real change. And it always just goes back to Rome. Everything goes back to Rome. Um, so I think it, it, it's, it's weird because there's been, you know, millennia of civilization across the world and yet the one eternal is, is Rome. And obviously, mm. the, you know, like we've already said, the common trope, the, the current kind of meme is, you know, how often do you think about the Roman Empire? It's like, we all do all the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, you wear, you know, ev- everything's Rome. Everything, whether <laughs> we want it to be or not. Yeah, I uh, completely agree. And to your point, you know, for history to kind of resurface into the mainstream, I think it's awesome. And, you know, what better way to do that than, you know, memes to bring it in. And then from there, it sparks people's interest. And then that's where people kind of dive in and do their own research. So I think it's so fascinating. So, you know, whether you look back at the medieval period or the Roman period or, you know, any of the periods that you've looked at, Chris, you know, what are mistakes that worry you that we're going to repeat in kind of current time? Big question again. You come with the big questions, don't you? <laughs> I mean, I think the, I mean, the ultimate lesson is, and we've already kind of both mentioned this, it's not learning from history generally. Mm. You don't have to look far back into history to see, you know, mistakes are made and, you know, we are repeating them. I think that there are so many things, and you can you can see it. And I don't want to get I don't want to get too political because it's very very easy for you know to, to end up that way. But you see, everybody's everybody knows Nazi Germany. Everybody knows what happens during the Second World War. Yes, the the vast majority of 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 conscientious people will agree that that is a terrible thing that should never be repeated. I would say Agreed. that is a, a historical fact. And Agreed. I'm not, I'm not going to leave anybody any room to, to disprove that. Agreed. <laughs> but what we can see is a move to the right again. Mm. And I don't mean left and right, center, left and right. But there is movements around the world this isn't a UK problem. This isn't a US problem. This is a, this is a global issue mm. where similar messages are being pushed in different ways, very different ways, but there are echoes of a period that's within, you know, living memory for, for many people. You know, mm. this isn't medieval England. We're not talking about Magna Carta. We're talking about the 1940s, which is, I'm terrible at maths, 80, 80 years ago? <laughs> It's either history or maths I've found in the world. You're either good at maths or history. <laughs> but yeah, you know, we're, we're looking back and we're ignoring a period of, of history that should never be forgotten. Mm. Again, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell on negativity too much, but you know, of course. that's a, an example of where all we have to do is look back and it's kind of like check yourself before you potentially wreck everything, never mind just yourself. 
but yeah, there are there are messages and and lessons, you know, throughout history where, you know, we we have to learn from them, and you know, I think as you mentioned previously, learning history is I think is super important as well, because it's it's a bedrock, it's a foundation subject that teaches you right from wrong, because you can read objectively, you know, King John. King John did this, this was wrong. King John did this, this was right. This led to this situation. Okay, cool. I can see parallels with X, Y, and Z. The chances are this is going to happen. Lo and behold, it happens. So, yeah. you know, I think it, it just gives you a good base understanding of, of human nature and the, you know, the essentially randomness of it. And I love that, you know, your favorite period is the medieval times. And, you know, kind of you mentioned a sub branch of that is the dark ages, because I recently gave a, a speech at this communications club I'm in where I touched on the topic a little bit of Asadi. Does that ring a bell? No. A-C-E-D-I-A. So um, Asadi is a condition written about, written by authors like Chaucer and Dante. And it's kind of like this listlessness. And, you know, from what I've read, you know, Asadi was seen as, you know, deadly for an individual and fatalistic for society, you know, back in the Middle Ages or dark times. And this kind of idea of Asadi is anytime, you know, someone lacked, you know, kind of direction or meaning or didn't have momentum in their life, you know, that was seen as something, you know, very dangerous for a society or individual. And, it's interesting that you say that, you know, there's this shift kind of politically towards, you know, the right a little bit. And what do you think is kind of fueling that shift? Again, another, another big question, another good question. I think when, when I look, you know, when I objectively look at the world as I guess you do on your way to work, I think of course we, we've never lived in a place in time where we've had so much access to so much information Mm, I mean, you know, right behind me now, there's a bookshelf. There's maybe <laughs> maybe 40 books on it total, if that. Yeah. Up until 40 years ago, that was probably the most information a household would have. Yes, you mm. had access to a, to a library or, you know, anything like that. But, I mean, I'm talking to you now on a computer. I've got a phone next to me. You know, there's, there's a PS5 over there with access to the internet, like, we have so much access to information and I think mm. it's, it's a, obviously it's a, it's a benefit, you know, things like this wouldn't happen without it. You know, I'm yep. very grateful for, you know, the technology that allows me to do what I do. Yep. I have so much fun doing it and hopefully bring, you know, some entertainment and enjoyment to people as well. But with that comes access to misinformation or you misinterpreted mm. information. And I think, it's very, very easy to spread a message. Yeah, especially Positive. today in social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, we, we met through social media. I met many people through social media. And at its heart, I think it's a wonderful thing that allows people to, you know, connect around the world, you know, globally. It's great. But there's always a but, isn't there? It also allows for, you know, misinformation. Whether that misinformation is, is factually incorrect, it's kind of by the by. It doesn't really matter. It's just how a message is spread. And I think having access to so many versions of a message, mm. it, it, it's, pulling people, it's pulling people apart. It, it takes a lot. And it's almost, I would say, impossible to avoid 
the, the you know everything is politics everything is news everything is you know taylor swift and travis kelsey it's all everywhere <laughs> you know and as a fan of the, the nfl it's tough to just see taylor swift everywhere but i digress <laughs> it is everywhere and you cannot escape it and i think it's 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 giving people not too much information that sounds like i want to gatekeep information not at all but it's it's almost well it's open source isn't it the world is now open source um and up mm. until very recently it wasn't so you kind of lived in your own bubble and when it's good that's great but when it's bad it's also terrible but now everyone's in this giant bubble that is inescapable yeah and I, i've thought about this you know pretty deeply and i would love to you know kind of share my perspective and I don't mind, you know, getting political on the podcast, but obviously, you know, only share what you feel comfortable with. You know, when it comes to the amount of information that there is online, there's kind of two schools of thought. You know, one school is, you know, we need to kind of police certain information because misinformation can have, you know, negative effects on society and on people very directly. And then the other school of thought is, you know, we need to let it all out there and let people decide for themselves because if we are to be the arbiters of truth that can get very slippery. And so I think, you know, obviously some sort of solution is somewhere down the middle, but, you know, finding that balance, I, I think is so challenging. And so, you know, what do you think, you know, as it relates to kind of those tools, two schools of thought and, you know, the approach to towards it? Yeah, I think I'll go back to my last example of, of Nazi Germany. I think mm. people don't necessarily see Nazi Germany and censorship as, as, you know, things that go hand in hand, but a core principle of Nazi Germany was the censorship of the media through targeted mm. propaganda and also, you know, the burning of the books that we, we should all have learned at school. Yeah. Banning books and burning books has the same end. It's just one is very aggressive. One is more passive aggressive. Mm. So I think information should be free but I agree. I think there should be a point in the middle where, you know, reasonable logic is applied to information. Um, but yeah, I think because it, in a way, like say you politically sit right down the middle and you think, okay, everything on the left is bad. Everything on the right is bad. Mm -hmm. You ban those two groups. You're left with just the middle, which is great yeah. for you. But if, you know, slightly left-leaning, slightly right-leaning, whatever it is, you're then going to feel like the system is then out to get you, which then mm. creates the very problem you're essentially trying to avoid. So yeah, I mean, the more information, I think anyway, the more information you absorb, the, the better it makes you as a, as a person, the more rounded it makes you. And, and you know, a, a core principle for me is I will try never to pass judgment on somebody's viewpoint of something without looking into that viewpoint whether it's politics or whatever, whatever it is, you know, mm. you know, a feeling about a historical person, you know, Winston Churchill in the UK is a polarizing character. I sit very much in the middle. I don't really have an opinion, whatever, but there are two very, very different camps from very different sides of a, of a political coin. And I think it's, it's really interesting when you listen to both those arguments. And I think that then allows you as a, as a historian, as a, as a person that, you know, views society, whether it's today or yesterday, and it allows you to, you know, 
hopefully come to a, a rounded solution or rounded conclusion, sorry. And that's how I try and view information. Mm. You know, one thing you mentioned was the ability to take in another side's perspective and then use that to kind of formulate your own opinion, even though, you know, you don't necessarily agree or disagree. I feel like that ability to have that type of dialogue is something that is lost today. Why do you think that is? I agree. I think, I think it goes back to the access to information. Mm. You know, anyone can go on the internet and Google, essentially you can Google the answer to your own question and find that. Yes. You've, ju- you've been justified. You know, I could say the shirt I'm wearing is green. You will tell me, no, Chris, it's clearly blue. I could Google what color is Chris's shirt. It will say green somewhere in the internet. Yeah. And then I can go, nope, here's my source. Source ABC. Shit, there it is. It's green. You know, that. that's the, essentially the, the world that we live in now where there is, it's all out there and there's, there's yes. kind of no escaping it. But. You know, that's why I have, you know, 15 different books basically on the same topic, because you can read one book about medieval England and that's it. That's your entire understanding of a period, of a group of people, of a time in society. And it could tell you that it was, I don't know, it was all, everyone had the plague constantly. Everyone was dying in wars constantly. The kings were dripped in gold and, and all this stuff. And, and you can take that as a snapshot and go, cool, everything I know about medieval England is based on that one sentence. Or you can read three more books and you'll hear that it wasn't always that plague ridden. There wasn't always war. The kings were dripped in gold, but not always. And there was this guy that wasn't. And then there was this war that actually, you know, and you know, it just, it's about adding context. Um, mm. I try not to be, I try not to be narrow-minded and I try not to be, kind of direct with my, you know, whether it's learning for, for university or for my own work or pleasure, I try not to, you know, do one thing and then move on. I try and build on something I already know or, or, you know, start something, you know, I am reading about Rome probably because of the meme, but I've read a few books about Rome like recently and, and they've, they've given me different perspectives on, you know, the same time period, the same people. You know, yep. Augustus always comes up, Julius Caesar always comes up, but you get a different perspective. And I, I, honestly, I think it just makes you enjoy it more. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about that is, you know, you get to digest different people's per- opinions and perspectives, you know, on what they've learned about Rome and then use that to kind of formulate your own unique perspective to then go yeah. write your own book, Chris, which would be awesome. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're currently, you know, reading a few books about Rome. What stories or what have you learned, you know, kind of from that study that really stood out to you? I mean, back to my previous point, I've learned that Rome is very cool. And (laughs) it just seems to be cool thing after cool thing after cool thing that happens. But I think the thing that I didn't expect to learn that I've learned, and Hmm. you just learn this through history studying anyway, is we are ultimately the same people we've always been. Oh, I love it. Everybody wants to be rich and powerful, but nobody wants to admit it. Everybody Mm. wants to look cool, but well, maybe a lot of people more admit that one. But, you know, ultimately that's what it it boils down to. Everybody wants to be successful and safe. Mm. And, you know, that's a, you know, a huge part of, you know, any period in history is you see these stories of, you know, people grasping at power. Um, Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. 
and you see it today. It, it's it's never changed, and I, I doubt it will ever change, um, unless there's a serious like cerebral shift in our brains that mean you know we don't care about that kind of stuff anymore. But you know, everything. I'm thinking of examples in my head from you know. Alexander the Great to Julius Caesar to Charlemagne to Richard the Lionheart. It, it, it's the same character mm. in just slightly different ways. And I'm not boiling those, you know, four blokes down to, you know, one person, but you see the same, the same goals, the same motivations just veiled in different, in different deities, in different, you know, mm. worldviews. But ultimately it, we always end up at the same, the same point. So I have another heavy hitting question for you because, you know, with what you just said, you know, basically it sounds like throughout your study in history, there have been fundamental things that have stayed consistent. And I could even call some of those, you know, fundamental truths. Mm. And so, you know, what are your perspective on the fundamental truths um, of society or history or, you know, people in general? Good question. I think realistically, Viewing, viewing history long view, mm-hmm. I would like to say that a, a, a real true core truth of, of an average person is like, if you say something, mean it, or if you, mm-hmm. you know, plan to do something, do it, don't, don't change, but also be prepared to change if if that's the right thing to do and kind of back up that reason, Mm -hmm. essentially honesty. I would say honesty is something that Mm. brutally hasn't got many people far, but I think you, I would rather be on that side of history than the, than the opposite, even if that meant, you know, a lesser place in it. Like I'm very aware of my place in history. Mm. Um, You know, I, I will not be, I will not be written about, but that's fine. That's, that's not my role. But, you know, if I can, you know, get to the end and I'm asked by whoever or whatever, you know, what do you, how do you think you did? Like, yeah, I told the truth. I was honest. I was fair. And mm. I did what I did with conviction. You know, whether that's I'm going to mow the lawn, I'm going to mow the lawn. You know, if I'm not, I'm going to change that decision. It's based on a good reason that kind of justifies it. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, it's an absolutely massive question, but yeah, I mean, history is written by the victors, isn't it? So I guess those truths have been decided whether they are the truths is, is up for serious debate, but yeah, I think honesty, integrity and fairness are key, key, key truths that I would probably say are worth applying to history whether whether you see that in you know the great men of history that horrible term that is unfortunately still pretty much used you know that the history is the study of great men i fundamentally disagree that that should be the case and hopefully one day it isn't but you know those don't always apply to great men in quotation marks so but yeah i, I that's what i would like to say is the case so you said history fairness and what was the third thing honesty integrity and fairness honesty integrity and fairness those are some beautiful truths to live by chris so one thing you mentioned is keeping your word 
you know, about situations. If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. Mm. Why is it so important to you? Or do you think, why is it so important in general for people to live that as their truth? I think you can go through life on your own and do pretty well. You know, I think mm. you can, you can get by fairly well, but at some point you need to rely on someone, whether that's, you know, day one, you can't speak, talk, you know, you can't walk, you can't eat, you need, you, you rely on your parents, don't you? So I think having that kind of trust in other people, I think it allows you to be a better person. And I would never want someone to feel about me. I can't necessarily trust what Chris is going to say or do. So I try and make sure that that's never the case because I, I need other people. I, I, I rely heavily, you know, on, on my, on my girlfriend, my colleagues, my friends to, to help me, you know, whether it's, I don't know, someone gives me a lift to work or holds a door open. You know, I, I need to know that that kind of that universal trust that, you know, whether it's a door being held open or something, you know, far more important. I can trust that the person in front of me is going to do that. So I think without that, it just breeds selfishness, which is, which is a, which is something that you see periodically through history, almost continuously. And it, and it just leads to, to, to break down. So without that, without that trust that I guess somebody else is going to do something for you, you know, you have to have that within yourself as well to, to in a way, know that you're going to do something for somebody else. Mm. But then it, it, it gets back to my other point about, about honesty is if you can't, that's also fine. Just be honest about it because, you know, the one thing that disappoints people is dishonesty. You know, mm. the whole, I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. I think that's really true. Whether it's your parents, your friends, you, you know, your partner, your colleague, your boss, whatever it is, if they if they can't trust that you're a reliable person, then, you know, you, you kind of don't have, this is going to sound awful, but you, you have a diminished value to them. And I don't think that's something that's, I think that's super avoidable. I think just by being honest and, and, and being true to your words, I think you can, you can maintain healthy relationships and with yourself as well. You know, mm. I find myself getting very disappointed with myself if I don't do something I've said I'm going to do. You know, that's a, that's a personal battle for me. And I think it's, it's very easy to, to project onto other people. Obviously we, we all, we all project whatever it is, but yeah. So, you know, kind of be honest with yourself first, but be honest with, with everybody else as well. What's beautiful about honesty is regardless of where you're brought into this life, that's something that everyone can have a strong conviction about, mm. you know, not what one person doesn't have the ability, you know, more than the other, you know, to live their life more honestly, you know, we're all kind of put on the same playing field or the level playing field with that. And that's why I think that's so fascinating. You know, one of the things you mentioned at the beginning of, you know, kind of this part of the conversation was, you know, the fundamental truths that you've learned from studying, you know, Roman history and how those have carried throughout time. And so now, you know, kind of backtracking to what your main interest is, which is, you know, kind of the medieval era. Uh, why does that era fascinate you so much? It's a good question. And I don't really know. Mm. It's, it's been, 
it's not like a conscious decision that yes. I don't think anybody makes a conscious decision as to, you know, why do you support a certain sports team or, or whatever it is. <clears throat> Excuse me. Agreed. But I mean, as far back as I can remember, going all the way back to being a kid, you know, the, you know, castles and, and knights and things like that has always been a huge part of my, my interest. Mm. You know, whether it's, you know, the first time I watched the film A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger, you know, I saw this film and I was like, this is the coolest film I've ever seen. I still watch it almost monthly at this point in my life. It's still, you know, it's, it's like a core memory for me. And <laughs> it's just, again, it's like how people view Rome. I just think it's the coolest period of history you've got. You've just got the most ridiculous things happening constantly. Like, there's, there's, there's people just doing every single possible thing you could think of and it's just normal it just happens and you know and and to get more kind of from a more of a a, a kind of a academic point of view there's there's just immense change there's a thousand years of change Mm. and and on the on the face of it it doesn't look like that and i think that's what's so interesting about it is you look at I don't know, periods like the, the, the long 19th century, as, as historians call the 1800s the long 19th century because of, it seemed to last forever. You know, you start with the Napoleonic era and you end, you know, virtually with First World War. So, you know, that's, that's in a 100-year period. Mm. The, medieval, the Middle Ages or the medieval period is, is the same. You know, you start with this weird post-Roman broken world and then you kind of end a few centuries later, you know, with, you know, Christopher Columbus has, has done what he's done in the Americas. And, you know, this whole, the whole worldview has shifted once again. And, you know, you can, you can look at it as, as, you know, this person did this at that point, this battle was in this field in France and so-and-so died and very, mm. very boring, very granular. But also you can, you can look behind it and see some, you know, really human, kind of moments something i i spoke about on another podcast recently was it's, it's kind of a favorite anecdote of mine um so we're in the early 12th century at this point you know maybe not even that actually sorry late late 11th century so you know vikings are still roaming around parts of the world and you know there's three brothers there's there's a william a henry and a robert and mm. william and henry are the younger two and they see their older brother Robert sat downstairs and they tip a chamber pot over his head. It's really probably really funny. It's probably as funny as it would be today. But that caused a rebellion against their father. You know, Robert rebelled against his father. His dad was William the Conqueror of all dads. So, you know, it's pretty pretty bad to be Robert. But, you know, human moments like that, you hear Battle of Hastings, 1066. You hear those big name Magna Carta, things like that. But hidden around that, are you know real real bits of human history and you know that's what's cool that's not a medieval thing that is just history in general but you know i yeah chip, chip tipping of the chamber pot is always a famous famous uh favorite anecdote of mine i love that story because it's like brothers being brothers you know exactly and <laughs> And so when you mentioned there's just so many ridiculous things that happened during that time that blow your mind, what's top of mind for you in terms of an example? I mean, off the top of my head, the Crusades. The Crusades mm. are a, it's something that I, I, I'm fascinated by as a, as, a, as a topic. But just the thought of what that is, is just insane to me. Mm. 
I understand, no, not understand that I'm not justifying it, but I can, I can, can, I can get in the head of a, a religious fundamentalist on, on either side of an argument and I, I can get it. But the fact that you would mobilize essentially millions of people over for a period of what, ooh, 400 years, really 500 years, maybe you can mm. mobilize people over that period of time with, with a, with a specific goal in mind. It works sometimes it doesn't work, but you know, that, that frames relationships around the world today. You know, oh, places like Spain, you go to Spain or you look at any many Spanish towns and cities, you'll see you'll see Arabic influences everywhere. You know, places like mm. Alhambra in Spain. Alhambra is not a Spanish word. That is 100% an Arabic word. Interesting. It, it's, and that, you know, that's part of the Reconquista, the, the reconquest of Spain. Um, by Christian forces, which lasted, you know, about 800 years. And the fact that it lasted for that long, it, to me, I just, I, I don't know about anybody else, but I struggle to conceptualize almost a thousand years of, of something like that. So yeah, that's, that's a, that's a massive example, I guess, because it's such a, a wide ranging example, you know, from, from the Iberian Peninsula to, you know, the, like the Balkan states and, you know, obviously the Near East. But yeah, it's just something like the Crusades as a, as a, I guess, a historical object to me is just mind-blowing. Yeah, I completely. And I remember, you know, studying the Crusades, you know, when I was in high school. And then I think like being like a, a prepubescent, you know, teenage boy, it was just like, it was just like the most badass thing, you know, yeah. ever to study. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, so that definitely brings back a lot of memories. Uh, there's this term, I would say that is popular in social media. And I've saw you post a little bit about it. So what can we learn from Memento Mori? And what does it mean? Oh, I love Memento Mori. I think, and good research on my Instagram, Memento Mori essentially means in Latin, remember you must die or remember you mm. will die. And it's basically our version of there's two guarantees in life, death and taxes. Mm. You know, it, it's exactly the same phrase. It's just said in a nicer language. Um, and I think you can view Memento Mori as, again, a very negative thing. You know, oh, do I have to remember that ultimately the end of this is death? Mm. Or you can view it as the only guarantee in life is death. So between being born and passing away, the rest is, is kind of up to you. Um, so it's mm -hmm. it's something, you know, that's, I guess I don't think about it every day, but it crops up every now and again. And I, I see it as a real moment of kind of inner peace that, yeah, I am one day going to stop for lack of a better word. You know, me as a historian, as a person, as, as a whatever, I'm just going to stop. But before that, you know, whether it's tomorrow or, you know, in, in a hundred years or whatever, I really don't think I'll get to 130, but however short or long that period is i've i may as well enjoy it and mm. and do something with it so yeah i think it's on the face of it i think it's quite quite negative but you know i think there's there's some there's some beautiful examples of of medieval jewelry usually rings 
with a little skull on it and it just says memento mori usually like yep. inside the ring and things like that and they are they're they're the most goth jewelry there is and i think they're awesome <laughs> but yeah i think and i don't believe that it would have been considered negative at the time either mm. i don't think in a world so heavily kind of a very heavily religious world i don't think that level of kind of self-determination would have been allowed so for me looking back on it it must have been it must have been seen as a, as a positive and i think you know that's something that we should we should hold to this day i think we should look at it and go yeah i am going to die one day but not right now so what am i going to do right now this week this year whatever it is to just have fun with it you know it, it's no, there's no guarantees well there's one guarantee and that, and that is unfortunately death but it's not necessarily a bad thing yes i completely agree i think memento mori and reflecting on your mortality is one of the best ways to really do an audit of your life yeah and am i doing the things that i want to do with this guarantee waiting for me at the end of the road do i want to get there and have look back and have regrets about how that time was spent or do i want to look back and kind of you know be proud of how i spent my time yeah it's interesting what one thing you mentioned was why you like the middle ages and you know for you you kind of boil it down to you know sometimes we're called towards certain things and we can't really explain it uh, i'm a huge fan of jordan peterson and he has a kind of a, a beautiful you know kind of quote about that i'm gonna butcher it but he talks about how there are so many things that we can choose in life, but the one thing that we can't are our interests. And yeah. you know, this ability to move towards what beckons us, I think is so beautiful. And I think, you know, Memento Mori kind of gets me in the frame of mind to think about, okay, like this is what's beckoning me. And let me just, you know, live that out and see what happens. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think I've always tried to I've always tried to be, and I mentioned this earlier about like being kind of true to myself and who mm -hmm. I am. And I've always felt very comfortable with who I am as, yeah. as a person, as a, as a kind of a young man, as a, you know, as growing up as a teenager, I, I knew exactly who I was. Then mm. I was going to get it right, you know, in, in yeah. kind of my, the way I presented myself, but down to my core, I always knew who I was. And mm. history isn't a cool subject to the vast majority of people. A lot of people see it as, it's stuffy, it's highbrow, it's boring, it's for old people. Mm -hmm. And I've never once let that change how I view it. I've, I've oh, looked beautiful. at it since I was a kid. You know, I, I, I used to get, I used to get just at school, kids just targeted me based on a topic. That was it. Mm. And obviously it bothered me, but also I was like, is, is this the only thing that you've got, you know, literally just grow up because in in 30 years you know you'll be watching a documentary going oh yeah chris was right this is actually really cool and interesting but yeah i think you know interests are they're really core to who you are as a person agreed and yeah it's a it's a it's a great quote because on the face of it it seems like you pick these things like i'm a new england patriots fan i didn't pick that I kind of did <laughs> but you know what i mean it's just it happens yes. you know by madden what's the first team sweet patriots tom brady 
Okay, let's go. Cool. 15 years later, still a Patriots fan. You know, it just happened. Um, you know, what kind of music you like, you know, even even down to, you know, what kind of decor you've got in your house. Those there are, they aren't really choices. It's kind of like you, you're going to end up there at some point, whether you ironically like it or not. But yeah, it's, it's a cool way to, to look at interests that they're not actually choices that you just, you're going to get there at some point. Completely agree. And, you know, the experience you touched on with, you know, people picking on you for your interests in grade school, uh, mm. what I have found is usually those people are peaked in high school or primary yeah. school. So <laughs> another a universal truth, it seems, because I was definitely picked on for some things when I was younger as well. Mm. Uh, I do think, you know, one thing you touched on that was beautiful was the conviction to move towards what you were interested in, regardless of how people viewed it or perceived you, I would say, and this is me included, you know, when we're younger, we can struggle with that because, you know, we want to, you know, kind of move with the crowd. Where did that ability from you come from? I don't, I don't know. I think I've always, I've always felt it. Mm. As silly as that sounds. And it sounds so cliche. I think, you know, I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the, for the lessons I was kind of taught by my, my granddad. He's, he's mm. a great kind of hero of mine. He, he's, you know, hard nosed businessman, head of the family kind of guy, but he could, you know, talk the birds out of the trees. He, <laughs> he could, he could talk to anyone. And mm. it's, 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 it's something that he, he instilled in me. And it's why I like doing podcasts. I like doing public speaking. I like speaking about anything to anyone. Mm. And I think another thing that that gave me by in kind of as a secondary is just confidence. And in, you know, knowing that whatever I'm doing or whatever I'm into or reading about whatever it is, it's like, this is, this is for me and me alone. And there's no, I don't have to justify it to anyone. And I think as a society, we feel quite often that we have to justify everything that we do. We have to justify mm. why we like certain things, why we don't like certain things. You know, I don't like mushrooms. I'm never going to tell you why I don't like mushrooms because it's not important. I don't like mushrooms. That's fine. That's it. Done. You know, you can, you can look at a very, a very small example of something like that, or you can, you know, take it to something much bigger. But yeah, I think, you know, I've always been taught that, you know, confidence is king and you know you can talk your way out of anything and those two things i've always tried to hold quite close to me um i truly mm. am a master of nothing you know I'm, I'm a jack of all trades like to the letter but my ability to talk out of them it, it, it <laughs> saved me saved me multiple times who are some of the most confident men in history Good question. So that's a difficult question because it's like, how are we, how are we being told that they're confident? You know, we, mm. we probably miss out 99.9% .9 of every human that's ever existed. We will never know who they are. We will never, ever learn, you know, what their favorite color was, you know, what they went, what they had for dinner the night before. We'll never, ever learn that. Mm. But I mean, the, the, a, the, the, the typical one that we go to the two and they're both topical is Julius Caesar and Napoleon. Mm. Two very similar people. They 
Napoleon was a was a fan of Julius Caesar for multiple clear and obvious reasons, but you know, those are those are two people that come to mind very, very, very clearly for me. But someone that I I study personally and, and find really interesting and you know implore people to look into is Henry the Second of England. Henry the Second of England is a kind of minor nobleman that ends up, you know, king of England and ruling lands from from Scotland to, to Spain. And he does it off his own back. Mm. With considerable help from his from his wonderful wife, Eleanor of Aquitaine, who is my, you know, kind of history fascination. But, you know, he's he's a person that I guess outside of my sphere, people don't tend to know. Everyone knows Henry the Eighth, but you know, few people know the the, the the guys before but he he's someone that i view as he used what he had to get to where he needed to get and never made any apologies for that and used situations and people and you know abilities and and things like that to 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 get where get where he got and i think you know you can see that with with napoleon you see that with julius caesar you see that with alexander the great you can see that with matilda the the empress that the Holy Roman Empress that should have been Queen of England, that there are so many people in history that just ooze confidence. And I think you see it by the ones that get results. And they get results on their own, not based on, yes, it's based on who they are and it's based on who their dad was, but also it's like, okay, take the situation and and mold it into something else. And I think Napoleon is probably the best example of that. Came from a minor noble family in Corsica, went to school at the perfect time in the perfect place, was never really good as a soldier. He wasn't a great soldier, but managed to find a niche and he exploited the hell out of that niche to become emperor of most of Europe, self-crowned emperor. You know, that's a title that realistically only one guy in the whole of human history has. You know, that's, that's pretty confident for a little guy, which I appreciate as someone that's only five, six. So, yeah, he's um, yeah. I'd probably say Napoleon in short to your answer, to your question. Mm, and uh, we love a short king, Chris. And so we I'm glad do. to know. <laughs> I'm glad to know Napoleon was one of the most famous ones in history. You know, you know, as we you know wrap up, Chris. Uh, I think you know one theme that we talked about you know in the beginning of the call was you know um, looking at lessons of history and then comparing that to where we are now. You know, we're headed towards a, a certain course. And whether someone can say what that course is with 100% confidence, you know, that is impossible. Yeah. So what advice would you have in your perception of the course that we're in to uh, help divert us away from where we're going? What read your we history. Mm. Read your history and just learn. Read, learn, and I guess trust that everyone else is going to do the same, mm. you know. It's, it's very easy for me to sit here and go, oh, well, you know, we're going to repeat the mistakes of the past, you know, sit here in my very safe living room, and, you know, very safe place with, with nothing really going on. It's really easy for me to do that. But, you know, we, we kind of need everybody to do that. Um, you know, learn from, you know, learn the, the great things that have happened in human history, the discover of the germ theory in the 19th century. You know, that's, that's mm. the, the zenith of, of human potential. You know, the, the the space age, we can argue all day whether we went to the moon or not. I do believe we went <laughs> to the moon, just for anybody concerned. You know, those are the, the great moments in human history. But also, 
you know, look at things like, let's look at slavery. Let's look at mm. the, the Black Death and the Great Plague of the 17th century. Let's look at where things went really wrong. And, you know, one of the first things, actually the first thing I ever wrote for somebody else in terms of history was I compared the Black Death of the 14th century to COVID-19. It was in the middle of 2020. Mm. It was very, very fresh and, and very new to everyone. And I was writing it basically with this question in mind, like, you know, what can we learn looking, you know, hundreds of years back into, into history? And, you know, what we, we're still doing very much a lot of the same stuff. You know, isolation is not a new thing. Um, you know, even some of the treatments weren't, weren't that far or some of the kind of folk medical kind of treatments were were very similar, but also how far we've come. So yeah, I would, I would say learn your history and, you know, hopefully if we all do that, we, we won't make the same mistakes. We'll make new mistakes. Don't get me wrong, but those ones are fine. Not fine, but expected. Um, But yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Uh, Beautifully said, Chris. Thank you so much. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you. It was uh, it was good. I really appreciate it.